What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 78 of Kick Snat Hair with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about drum fills, when should you play them, and what type of fill should you play based off of where you are in the music. Our featured artist this week is Mr. Kenny Arnoff. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out some amazing snare drums from Noble and Cooley. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Bam! 78. It is... 78, my goodness. 78. You know, it's we're getting to that place now where 78 feels like not nearly enough and so much more than I ever thought. It's, I, know, I can't yeah. I can't tell where we are. It's like, God, I feel like we've done thousands of these, but at the same time, like 78 hours of us babbling about drums. <laughs> and we've still got 22 more to go before we get to 100. I know. And then That's, we call it quits, right? Yeah, then, then we just burn the whole house down. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what I really think about... Blah, blah, blah. Oh, man. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing fine. I got a little bit of a head cold that's going on. You know, everyone in this area has a little sniffle, but I feel fine. It's one of those things that just bothers me. Yeah. But I it's, feel fine. It's annoying. It's annoying. Yeah. It's just annoying. Even. So I'm, if I sniffle a little bit, my apologies, but, you know, we'll work through it. We'll work is through it together. Is everything coming down or slowing down around there after NAM, or how, does, how, does, how is post-NAM for Modern Drummer? Uh, chaos. It's it's okay. Um, everyone's hitting me up to send me their gear, so I'm doing a lot of trafficking for reviews. And you know, I was out of the office for for three days, so that puts me back uh, a little bit. You know, it's yeah. It definitely doesn't slow down for us after Dam. They might for some of the manufacturers because they build up to the show. For us, it's it's like reporting on the show and covering all the new products is afterwards. Wow, but you know, whatever. I'm complaining about something that's still pretty darn fun. So pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got a lot of stuff here to check out. The new Zildjian uh, K Custom K. Special Dries. I got the whole set here. I'm checking those out. I've got some UFIPS from Italy here to check nice. out. I've been putting the Evans UV1 drum heads through some testing the past couple weeks. And what, what is a what is a UV1? I'm assuming the one stands for single ply. It is. It's a. It's a alternative process for coating the head they're using uh ultraviolet light to cure it which oh. is supposed to make it stronger and more durable huh. and they don't coat it all the way around so there's no coating like on the collar or on the, oh. the hoop so it stops like right where the where the hoop would meet the head huh uh, yeah so far it's cool we'll have, I'll have cool. a more you know full report once once the review happens but nice i think it's a i think it's priced a little bit more than a g1 okay you know, so it's just like a step up from a G1. Like if a G1 is if, – if you like the sound of a single ply coated but the coating wears off too fast, this is like the their option for that. It must be tough to be a drumhead company. I mean I've, ne- I've never really spoken to Aquarian about this specifically. But it must be tough to know, hey, we got it right 30 years ago. Now we have to fake invent new <laughs> things so that we have something to sell and something to put in our ads. But it's like – I mean, at the end, it's like I, as a head company, you need a single ply, a double ply, a clear, and a coated of both. Yeah. And you know, I, and I mean, there's special. I think the bass drum is where the specialty heads actually make a really big difference. Um, something like I've never, I don't know about you, but I've never gaff taped my bass drum. You know, I've never put. I, I I bought a head that had that built in, whether it was a Super Kick One or something like an Emad. Yeah. Uh, or for me, even as a kid, it was the Power Stroke Three. That was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I used to use a pinstripe for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this this head, I don't think it's a gimmick. I mean, they're using a new process for curing the paint, so right. it's probably a more proven system for having paint just be more stable and in other sure. indus- other industries and stuff. I don't know the details, but uh, the one thing I did do, like for me, the coating doesn't wear off from the plane area. It wears off when I do rim clicks, where the tip is like digging into the head. Oh, okay. That's always the the first spot that the coating just starts to wear away, like a a regular single ply coated within three minutes, there's like a notch of the of it out. Okay. So I did a little like maybe ten minutes of playing with it yesterday, and it didn't it didn't scrape off. And I even took the stick and like tried to like scrape the coating off. Wow, that's awesome. I, I wonder if then maybe for for Evans at some point that just becomes how they do coated heads rather yeah, than being a specialty product. I asked them at Nam, I was like, is this going to replace the G1? And they're like, no, it's not going to replace it. It's just an alternative single ply coated head. And the Until film it is different. To sell a lot. It's a oh, trans- is it really? it's a translucent film. It's not a clear film. Oh, okay. It's like the uh, timpani style. Uh, so the so the mylar itself is different. Yeah, it's a different mylar, different coating, wow. different process. 
Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, I look forward to checking that out. Yeah. Uh, so, dude, I got to go to Waco, Texas, man. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. interesting. What is yeah. there besides uh, what is it? Fixer Upper, Fixer Upper. Besides, yeah, Magnolia Market is and, what it's called, and, uh, and cults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, well, as far as our experience, there's Magnolia Market and there's barbecue, and uh, we we enjoyed both immensely. So it was it was nice. pretty awesome, but it was mostly I would say just inspiring to see what Chip and Joanna Gaines have done. As a couple turned into a business, turned into a mega corporation. It is it's, – it's like a theme park. I mean I would say probably on the day that we were there, we were there a full day and then uh, a little bit in the morning the next day. But on the day we were there, I'd say probably thirty to 40,000 people came through. What? No, it's like a theme park, man. I'm not what? kidding. For yeah. what? You just look at like to buy rooms? stuff. <laughs> yeah, to buy her decorations. To be like, oh, there's the there's the vase she used on episode nine. That now, is amazing. And what's even crazier is there are people whose houses her and Chip have renovated that are standing one or two streets down giving tours of Waco, and they're famous just for being on the show. What? And people are like taking pictures with like, oh, there's the guy who owns the coffee shop that was in season three. And dude, Man, it is. I feel so out of the loop. I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. I know it's, but <laughs> it's, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. And so, uh, yeah, but it, the, the like, worst. Imagine having some kids like, hey, kids, we're going to Waco to the amusement park for living rooms. <laughs> yeah, but man, I'm telling you, it's set up like an amusement park. There's food trucks inside. They have probably 15 food trucks of like everything from homegrown vegetable dishes to crepes to barbecue, everything inside of their actual property. So fenced in. And then there's a huge area for the families to hang out in. I, I really don't know how to explain it. I know it sounds crazy. It but sounds like an Ikea, quite honestly. Okay, so take Ikea and then mix that with Disneyland and then have somebody that really cares about customer service do the whole thing. <laughs> we did not feel gypped at all. Like I flew from Sacramento, California to Waco, Texas to look at interior design stuff and left going, hell yes, when can we come back? Did you buy anything? Uh, did is it, did is I? It, is it you can buy stuff there? They have their own FedEx. <clears throat> they have the fixer upper FedEx inside of the building. So you go to the cash register, you take all of this stuff with you, and you just say, okay, uh, orders under Mike or Amber. And then they move it over to FedEx and they box it up for you. And then they say, okay, that'll be $300 in shipping. And, and you're so happy to pay it. You're like, <laughs> that's it? Only $300? But you used all the good bubble wrap. I'm, yeah, you leave there and you're like, I'm so happy to spend my money on. I, I cannot explain it. You just have to experience it. Uh, so, yeah. Well, maybe I should try watching the show once. I don't. Even I think that is. would probably be a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Start in season two or three. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> uh, but just know it'll take over your life. So, uh, so anyways, it was it was good times, and it was nice to unplug from the drums a bit. And then I launched my uh, my astro astro facts with Mike channel on Instagram. So I saw that. That was cool. So yeah. How often are you going to be updating that? Probably about every two or three days. New oh, video. Wow. Okay. So uh, I'm starting with the sun and working my way out um, to the outer solar system to right, right where our heliopause is. That's like the place where the sun's energy kind of stops and gets slammed into the solar system. Not the I'm sorry, uh, the galaxy's energy. So, so I'll work my way out to the heliopause and then I'll start dealing with the rest of our galaxy. Then we'll go to other galaxies and then get more into the physics of stuff. So I did the sun. So next up is Mercury. All right, Mercury yeah, retrograde. So. Yeah, well, there you go, there you go, <laughs> and uh, that's a bunch of tomfoolery, but whatever. <laughs> uh, interesting fact: Mercury's day is almost twice as long as their year. That'll be in the in the next video. So, whoa, yeah, it's very close to the sun, so it orbits in about eighty days around the sun. But it's so close to the sun that the sun is slowing down its rotation, so it takes about one hundred and sixty days to rotate once on its axis. Damn, that's Pretty a long deep. summer. Yeah, or and a long, a long winter. winter. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's crazy. I mean, you would think that close to the sun, it's just got to be crazy hot, and it is on the side that's facing the sun. It's it's about I'll have to look it up, but like four hundred to six hundred degrees Fahrenheit. But on the side that's not facing the sun, you're looking at about negative three hundred degrees. So, um, being that, that close to the sun doesn't matter if you're not facing it. So, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a dead planet. So we'll get into all those facts in my next thing. So you can just check out <laughs> Astrofacts underscore with underscore Mike on Instagram. Cool. 
All right, let's you get know, into like some. Like you needed oh, yeah. more things to do. <laughs> Dude, I just was like, what do I do with all these extra 26 seconds that I have free every day? I know. I'll make an, astro, uh, an astrophysics course. I don't know. I lost my mind. But I've wanted to do this for years, so I'm, I'm really happy that I finally got that first one out of the way. And uh, hopefully it can help people understand or just open them up to the universe because it's a pretty amazing place. And if you knew more about the universe – you would definitely worry less about things like people's race, religion, gender, and all the stupid crap we fight over. So, Yeah. Well, the sun is everything, right? There we go. It is. <clears throat> and it's actually – I mean it's food for our plants. Actual food. It's crazy. <laughs> They're just um, eating the sun every day. They're literally eating the sun. <laughs> Photosynthesis. <laughs> anyway, so all right. Let's talk a little drums. I'm sure people are like, good God, shut up. I know. We're like 10 minutes in. Come on. Drum fills. Drum fills. So I want to talk about not fills themselves because I think everyone has their own favorite fills and they work on them. And we listened to some of our favorite fills last week. But what I wanted to talk about is the purpose of a drum fill. What is the musical responsibility of a fill? Why should you play a fill? When should you play a fill? Um, and even what is the fill itself doing? Do you care whether it's bringing things up or taking things down? You know, I definitely play a very different fill going from – a verse into a chorus than I do going from the chorus back down to the verse. Um, mm-hmm. And I take that stuff into consideration. So when you started with Phil's, let's go back in time. When you were young Michael Dawson, mm-hmm. why did you oh, learn Phil's? Was it for music or was it for more for drums because you thought they were cool? Oh, man. That's a tough question. I was always That's learning songs. hard hitting. So okay. I, it was always in context of what song was I listening to? What is you know what does this drummer do? You know, it, it was never. Um, gosh, I don't think I ever thought of, of of it being separated from the groove. It was okay. You know, he plays that groove and then he does something to go into the next groove. Right. Uh, so yeah, I never. I don't recall ever just sitting down and just practicing fills. It was always or in the context of, of of music. Um, I mean, I didn't have a drum set teacher until I was in high school. So okay. my my teachers were albums and, and magazine articles and things. So, <clears throat> I mean, I took percussion lessons and all that. I've talked about that before. But so, yeah, it was always like, you know, I love this U2 song. How does Larry Mullen go from the verse to the chorus? Let me figure right. that out. Um, yeah. And then maybe later you, I got into like practicing licks and stuff. I was going to ask, like, did you ever take, let's say – it's a U2 song. You're playing the thing. You figure out exactly what he did in that space. Did you, at the time, take it further and explore it as a concept? Or did you say, cool, I got that down, moving on? I think I just kind of absorbed it. And then okay. when I was playing with my own bands, those fills just would kind of happen. Right. I just have inspiration. I wouldn't play them like – I wouldn't be like, okay, this song I want to throw in the Sunday Bloody Sunday fill. It just kind of would pop out whenever appropriate. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I ever um, – Again, I don't think I consciously dissected the fill and then tried to practice it. Make a practice there, regime yeah, out of the fill. There were definitely some Will Calhoun things that were like, what is he doing? And there's a fill in that song, Middleman, that yeah. it just doesn't make any sounds like the drums are just rolling down a hill. <laughs> so that was one that I, I remember seeing the video and slow-moing it and seeing how what he was doing with his – because his hands are kind of moving between the toms and the floor tom and the snare. So I remember that one in particular, thinking, all right, let me figure it out, that thing. But – Quite honestly, I don't think I've ever used it. It was fun right. to figure it out, but sure, I don't think I've ever used it. Yeah, I think for for me, uh, probably similar. The only time I, I would ever make a practice regime out of it was when I physically couldn't pull off the fill. Maybe it was a speed thing, like a Vinnie mm-hmm. Paul thing in a Pantera song where I'm like, I can hear it. I know what the hell he's doing. I physically just can't play that fast or I can't play it that clean because I'm using a single bass pedal or whatever. Um, but for me... I think Phil's came from jazz band and they were this thing and they were, you know, obviously we call them like setups or you're getting ready for an ensemble figure. But I thought of a Phil as what if everyone is as lost as I am? The only thing that's going to let them know we're in the right place is when I play this one bar fill, which is a very long fill. But I need to let them know this is we are going into the B section. So I always thought of my fills as a way to alert the audience and my other bandmates that something musically was about to change. And because I thought it was like egotistical to assume 
Actually, it's like reverse egotistical. Well, I'm lost in the chart, but I assume everyone else knows where they are. It's like, well, why can't they be just as lost as I am? (laughs) So maybe my fill will let them know, okay, this is the B section. Or if it was my rock band, okay, we are going into the chorus. You know, when you're you're a kid and you're playing in rock bands, your songs are way too long. And you stay in your verse way longer than you should. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, we'll do – because I remember being, you know – 14, 15 saying, yeah, we'll just vamp on that for a while. That was yeah. like how we, <laughs> and that's like two minute then, verse. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, no vocals, just, we'll just vamp on that riff for a while. And then when my head bobs up and down, we'll go to the next part. So my fill was what alerted people that that was happening, but it wasn't until the YouTube world that fills became this thing that drummers played for no musical reason whatsoever oh, yeah. because they were playing by themselves to entertain other drummers. Um, or I guess drum clinics, same thing. But in yeah. drum clinics, I never saw it as beats and fills. It was more just constant improvisation. Yeah, or a um, solo. I mean, to, yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't, when I listen to someone take a drum solo, I don't think of it as being beats and fills. It's just right. the solo. It's just got exactly. a shape to it where it gets busy and gets simple. Yeah, uh, But yeah, your point about the jazz band is funny because I had the same exact thing. For me, it was more of I don't trust the other guys to know where they are. <laughs> right. So it was like, all right, here, I'm going to just make sure I smash the, the pickup. All, and it, it took me a, until graduate school, not even after graduate school, to be like, okay, I can trust that these people can play in time. I can trust that right. <laughs> you know that I don't have to set up every little thing. Right. Yeah, but yeah, that no, I mean, because I, I would set it up with like a those. head nod and everything, and it was like, duh, 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 duh. we're yeah. going into the B section as obvious as possible. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, and you know what's funny though is uh, I've been playing almost my whole life, and if I was to sit in on a blues jam somewhere, it, I would be back in sixth grade. I'd be assuming, okay, you guys might not know where we're going. Yeah. Or the other thing is, hey, I don't know this song. But we are going here now. I'm letting you. I, I don't want to do the whole. I look around for ever at the end of every four bars and go. Now are we going now? It's mm. like okay, we've been here long enough. We're out. But I'm going to let you know it's happening. I'm not going to just randomly go from my hi hats to my ride. Uh, that's something we should talk about someday too. Is when to ride and when not to ride. Because um, people are like, well, that was expensive. I got to get over to that thing and play it for a while. <laughs> so, but yeah, with with Phil's, it, it's for me. It was always. A thing where I was letting the audience and my band members know something is about to change in the music. So I'm going to play a fill. Now, as far as the dynamics of the fill, you know, I'm definitely thinking, where am I going? What is my dynamic level right now? And where are we headed? Well, I'm going to get that fill is going to bridge the gap between those two differences in dynamics. So if we're going from a quiet verse into a loud chorus, my fill is going to ramp up and, and probably finish with a giant crash or both my crashes at the same time i'm not going to hit a 20 inch crash coming down into the verse you know i might even have no crash at all at the end of my fill um so do you think about that stuff as well yeah i mean it for me that the dynamic is more important than what i actually play agreed Uh, i could most of my fills are probably just eighth notes and sixteenth notes but it's the the shape of the dynamics that i think makes them effective Mm -hmm. you know so yeah i wouldn't go I wouldn't go from simple to busy to come back into a verse, and I wouldn't do the opposite, go from busy to simple to go into a chorus, just like I wouldn't go from loud to soft into a chorus or soft to loud into a verse in general. Yeah, Uh, depends on the verse and the chorus. It just depends on how the song's written. And and also even to play a fill or not to play is ultimately Mm. up to the genre and the artists. And I mean, sometimes just keeping the the main groove going while the rest of the band changes is just as powerful as anything else. And sometimes an open hi-hat on the and of four is the fill. Yeah, right. It's the only thing that changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and silence can be the fill as well. Yeah, a big space right before a chorus can be really cool. Um, I always thought of, I mean, I I think probably a young, not a young, but one of my early drum teachers just told me fill was short for fill in, fill in the gap. And mm-hmm. so I was filling in the gaps in the music. And sometimes, you know, you might be in a verse that's say 16 bars, but the phrasing of the verse is really eight bars. It, like the, the vocal story is happening in the course of eight bars. So at the end of that eight bars, we're not going to the chorus. So I'm not going to play a shat doom, gat doom, gat doom, but I might give it a little scat doom, and just get that open hi hat to be like, okay, we're turning around. We're going to do this again. We're not going to the chorus, but I'm letting everyone in the band know this part of the phrase has concluded. We're going to do it again. Uh, so I think that stuff's really important. And then yeah. the other thing is how do how do you get out of your fill? I think people just assume at the end of every fill you have to hit a crash symbol, but you really don't. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite crashes that 
I, I don't know if I stole it from Vinny or who. I'm trying to think who I got it from. But one of my favorite kind of crashes is when you crash on the snare on the downbeat of one. Yeah. And just, you know, that's flat, a doom, great way to bring it down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like just, oh, you know, so. Or like, no, like have it beats a huge fill that you think is going to have a big crash and just stop with a kick drum. Yep. Yeah. It just ends it. I mean, those are. Vacuum the sound out of the room. And that's I think that's something that uh, that Mark Giuliano does really well. He kind of yeah. builds up the tension and then he doesn't do what you want him to do, and it's it's yeah. like a reverse satisfaction. You're like, ah, come on, yep. just give me the crash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> him him and Draco Watson definitely uh, just they they don't give you the payoff, but that yeah. is the payoff that you don't yeah, get exactly. it. And you're like, oh, yeah. dirty bird. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that. I, I remember Phil Collins in. Uh, Man, one of his one of his many ballads. Uh, going into the chorus, he would on this specific song, he would crash on a ten inch splash with no bass drum. Going into the chorus, and I was like, mm. "Oh, that was that was subtle, <laughs> Uncle Phil. Well done, buddy." So, well, I think it's something that I would like all of you guys out there, um, especially for the younger drummers. I don't mean young by age, but young by how long you've played. You know, really think about the musical responsibility of your fill. Uh, when, when we have drum camps, we do a lot of times we do fill audits. So what I'll do is I'll have a song or have a drummer play a song. Then they come back in the control room. I record the whole thing and I audit their fill like a fill IRS agent or I audit their song. And so for every fill, they have to have a receipt. And I ask them, why did you do this fill? And if they can give me a proper receipt, like, well, we were getting ready to go into the chorus and I wanted to build up for that then they can keep it. And if they don't have a receipt for their fill, they go to drum jail. So <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it's really important <laughs> to be able to, to to listen back to yourself and think. I mean, you'd be shocked. If you listen to hit songs, listen to anything by you know, whoever, whatever you think a hit single is, and count the fills. There aren't a lot of them in real music. Yeah. You know, we're the ones as amateurs that put them in. And then when we start to play in bands, that's when we first realize, and your first couple bands are like, hey, you don't have to do everything or do anything all the time. And it's like, oh, really? Like, Yeah. I mean, sometimes then, a bass guitar fill is just as effective. You got to leave space for that. Yep. Or a vocal fill. I mean, that's that's what I've been learning as the more recording I do is some singers, they sing all the way through into the chorus. Well, if you put a fill in there, you just annihilated their last line, which is usually the yep. most important line of the, yeah. whole, of the whole thing. That's so, a great point. Yeah, I stuff agree. Stuff that feels right, you listen back, like, oh, that really doesn't, doesn't work at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and then... So I've tried like trying to be slick and like maybe I'll match the singer's rhythm with my fill and it just right. ends up sounding really stupid. So yeah. sometimes the best thing to do is just grit your teeth and don't play a fill. Yeah, you know? I agree. And I mean, I think instead of matching, one thing that I like, um, I think Tommy Ricard did it pretty well on Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. But sometimes instead of matching the vocal line at the end of the phrase with a fill, you just match it with a key crash. Find one note that can be supported by a crash, but there's no setup for it or anything. Like she's already doing the setup. So it's just emphasizing that one word that the singer really wants to stick out with a, with a light crash that can really help too. So mm-hmm. awesome, man. Well, we can explore this more some other day, but now it is time to get into our featured artist. Uh, brand new on the scene. His name is Kenny Arnoff. Uh, not a lot of credits to his name, but he, God, he sure is a go-getter. I really think he's going to be somebody to, to he's watch He's got a bright future. future, yeah. I think he does. I think he does. Uh, man, talk about just one of, first of all, is the dude ageless? He looks younger on your cover than he did when he was in the Pumpkins like ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't want to guess how old he actually is, and I don't want to, you know, get it wrong. But the but dude's been at the be top of the game. He could be between twenty or fifty. He, he could be between, anywhere in between there. No, he could be between twenty and, and sixty five. Quite uh, no, <laughs> look at him. <laughs> he looks younger than us, and he dresses better than both of us. What the I hell? Mean, and the dude is fit. He is yeah. definitely fit. Yeah, man. I mean, very, so, very interesting tidbit of of my history. The first issue of Modern Drummer I got in the mail as a new subscriber was, I think it was nineteen ninety one. Kenny Arnoff on the cover. Shut up. You I was remember 12. that? I was twelve years old. <laughs> so he's been, and he probably looked just like this. He's been. Well, that was back in the uh, the Mellencamp days when he was wearing okay. like sweaters and stuff. I think. But I bet he looked damn similar. I, I, yeah. it's it's unreal, man. That's it's so cool. Um, so now, do you know Kenny? I wouldn't say that we're friends, but we've interacted like it shows. Okay, so you've met him and stuff. Yeah, he's sixty-three years old, by the way. 
That's no, that's a lie. <laughs> Wikipedia is making up some crap. It'll be sixty-four in March. Cool. <laughs> at, at most. <laughs> well, good for him, man. I'll, I'll I'll send him an email and find out what his skin regimen is later. Um, yeah, he lifts but, weights. I mean, he's an avid yes. avid weightlifter. Um, yeah, I, I I got to spend time with him in uh, where were we? Uh, Seattle, and we did a oh, uh, right. did Don Bennett's uh, drum bonanza thing there that was my first time ever meeting him and uh what a what a cool guy you know one thing i will say kenny has the exact same thing as uh jr robinson which is when you hear them noodle around on the kit you're like ah, cool sounds like a drummer i mean could be literally a local drum teacher could be a guy just kind of messing around and then as soon as music starts yeah. The whole drum set changes and you're like, that can't be re- – that's the radio. That is not actually <laughs> happening four feet in front of me. Like literally the tones of the drums change because we, we had to do the thing where they go down the line and introduce the drummers. Oh, we got Mike Johnson from Sacramento and I play and then we got mm-hmm. Kenny Aronoff and Todd Zuckerman. And then we played music and when, the, when he played music, I was like, damn, you are meant to do this. And there's yeah. a reason why he has the gigs that he has. Um and he's so busy, it's out of control. He was like, yeah, I got to leave here and go do the Grammys real quick. And then I come back from the Grammys and do American Idol. It was like, I mean, it just never ended. And then I'm playing for the president's dinner. And it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah it's the just thing crazy. with Kenny is he he has a temperament to, to like excel in those high-pressure situations. I think, exactly. that's, I think that's the key to his success is he's such a strong, confident person that he's – I think he's hireable because people were like, all right, that dude's not going to mess up. <laughs> like – He's not going to let anything happen. He's so like big brother kind of a vibe. Yeah. And and he can, I mean, some of those Kennedy Center, I think it's a Kennedy Center honors things. Yep. He's playing with like half a dozen different artists and totally different styles and arrangements of songs that he'd only heard one time. Yeah. And it's live on TV. I mean, it's intense. So I can imagine, I mean. Next level. And I I mean, and he was saying, because he gave a clinic at this thing uh, in Seattle and he was saying things like, yeah, I just uh, – I usually listen to the songs on the flight into wherever I'm going and then I get up on stage and I'm like, do you make notes? Do you, like, <laughs> what, what do you mean you listen to the songs as you're headed out to play a new arrangement by whoever, you know, yeah. um, Van Morrison and he, and he just rewrote the whole song. It's, it's, it's incredible, man. So I, I'm, I was really impressed by that um, and I've always been impressed by that. Those people, like you said, they, they have that Michael Jordan thing where it's like when the clock gets down to six seconds, he yeah. just has to have the ball in his hands. It's like, dude, I've got this. And yeah. if it goes terribly wrong and bricks off the iron, it doesn't even phase him. He's like, wow, yeah. that was weird. <laughs> I'll get it next time. you know. And Kenny has that thing like turn on the lights, turn on the pressure, and all is good. you know. Yeah. So now, So what's he up to now? Uh, I mean, he's the story is kind of well. He's got a new book, kind of a memoir, tongue in cheek. Okay. Uh, sex drum, sex drums, and rock and roll is the name of it. It's nice. an it's an autobiography, just about. I mean, his he's done so many. He's been interacting with so many different huge artists. John Fogarty's still his main thing, but um, so that was the the purpose of the story. But he also gets into you know how he's had to adapt because he's he's a well known session drummer as well. Right. But as the session scene has dried up, he's had to build his own studio and you know change with that, and he kind of shares some of his uh, product you know productivity tips. Like he he tries to get all the sessions done at once rather than spreading them out over a couple of days. So wow. he'll do like a whole day of just sessions and just crank all the you know all the songs out rather than like do one on Monday, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. Again, I think that is to his temperament where he's just like a 100%, let's go, and then tomorrow I'm going yeah. to the beach. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of that. I mean, That's cool, man. Well, yeah, he's, he's, he's a monster. Do you, did you ever see his educational – well, I had videotape at the time. But did you ever oh, yeah. see his educational DVD? That <clears throat> was all great. Those. I think it's called yeah. – man, what was the first one called where he's wearing like a pink sweater and like the, the white Reeboks? Yeah, buddy. It was so good. So yeah, no, good. I, I, I learned a lot from him. I think my <clears> – <throat> Um, so I have like a personal mixing board exercise for my students, but there's also an improvisational one. And I think it's straight up from Kenny Arnoff where he That's plays in there. Yeah, that is right. He plays four bars of groove. Then he improvises with bass drum, then snare yep. drum, then hi-hat, but the other limbs don't change. That's in there. Um, I must've watched that when I was 12 and I'm still teaching that to my students at drum camp now. Yep. And it's still a really effective exercise. 
um, yeah, I, I've I've been a fan of his for a long time, and just seeing what he could do as a chameleon. I mean, he really went from John Cougar or from John Mellencamp straight into filling in for the Smashing Pumpkins, yeah, and changed his whole look, his whole vibe, and it was flawless. And then he went straight back to some other gig with a pop artist. I mean. And He's appeared on chameleon. huge records. I remember him on uh, the Blaze of Glory soundtrack, John Bon Jovi. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember hearing that single and I was like, something's really – that whoever's playing drums is really special. It was just really right. like – it was simple but really up front and it was yeah. Kenny. His, wow. his snare drum sound was what was always so distinctive to me. Yeah. Now, has he been a Tama artist for like ever? I don't remember him playing anything else. I think he's playing Tama in that a white Tama kit in that that old video. That's what I'm saying. I think he's like <laughs> w- when you sign Kenny, he, he's got some loyalty, man. He's not Zildjian, going anywhere. Yeah, Zildjian and yeah. Tama. I think he's I think he's been there the whole time. That's so awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely love it. Well, guys, check out Kenny Aronoff. Uh, it's A R O N O F F. You can find so much stuff on him. And what's his new book? New book called Sex, Drums, and Rock and Roll. There you go. So you can find that. <laughs> Anywhere. Um, all right. Well, let's get into some of the good stuff, some of the candy gear review time. Uh, man, just the term gear review, when you come back from Nam, it just seems like how could it ever end? And I guess it just doesn't, right? It, it never just keeps ends. going and going and it's going. Kind of, like, I mean, my my job is kind of like a Nam show where you know it's, right. it's exciting because I'm getting to try all the new stuff, but it's frustrating because I don't get enough time to really spend with all the new stuff. That's very like, Here's a set of symbols. You got two weeks with them. Like, son of a, like, two weeks is not long enough. <laughs> I need like two years with these things to really know what they're going to do. Do you ever, I mean, honestly, before we get into these, do you ever get burnt out on just like, cool, you guys made a round drum? I, I mean, does it ever like mush together? They're all drums, right? And yeah, symbols. You know, I'm surprised. Or do they all have their own unique thing? Apathy is not set in. I'm really, I'm kind of wow. surprised. Everything that's come in, I've been able to. I mean, I've, I've kind of honed my perception to be able to be like, okay, this is what makes this unique. Let me make sure that that's what I focus on. Like, I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to review a mid-price kit thinking of what does it sound next to a Craviato kit. I sure, mean, of course. So there's certain things I'm always looking for, and cheaper stuff, you know, more affordably priced stuff. I'm always looking for hardware functions. Mm-hmm. You know, like where are they cutting costs? Where is it excelling over what I remember in my my Pearl export kit? You know. Is yeah. it, how does it compare to that? Yeah. So yeah, in general, it's. I mean, there's been a there's been a few unfortunate times when like someone will send me the exact, it's not the same thing, but a similar product from different companies. I'm like, oh, I just okay. checked out that in another company, and like, yeah, all right, it's the same right. thing. It's serving the same purpose. But you know, I don't. It doesn't just become like, oh, here's snare drum. This drum sounds like a snare drum. There's always right. something. Each one surprises me in some some unique way. That's awesome, man. Well, let's uh, see if these drums surprise you. So we're, uh, you're checking out some Noble and Cooley snares. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I had the 14 by 5 aluminum uh, that was like all um, – Yeah, that was the one the, for a while. Yeah, the black aluminum one. I think I saw uh, Will Kennedy playing it on the Modern Drummer Festival when he was in that spaceship yeah, that's thing. That's right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I bought that snare drum and absolutely loved it. I mean this is like – 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe. Um, yep. So you've got three snares to review. Uh, tulip wood, which I'd never heard of, walnut, and a maple mahogany. So yeah. run through them for us. Yeah, so first of all, a little background, Noble and Cooley. And by the way, everything we're talking about is from the March issue, if you want to play along. That just came out. So you should, if you're a subscriber, you should have your copy in the mail. If you're looking to buy it in the store, I think it comes on – it should be on sale now. So Okay. Kenny Arnoff is on the cover. Not his identical twin brother, but it's actually Kenny Arnoff. He does have a twin brother. Do he has a that? twin? Yeah, identical no. twin. Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's intense to see pictures of the two of them together because <laughs> he's, he's fit as well. Anyway, so Noble and Cooley has a long history, uh, 150 years of making drums. They were making uh, like field drums for the colonial army, the, the, the Union Army. I believe it was – yeah, it had to have been the Union Army because they're in Massachusetts – uh, so they've been around forever and it's always been a family owned business. Um, they've kind of, you know, they were one of the original boutique custom shops, um, which yeah. were off. I mean, that's the first I've ever seen them and GMS were like, all right, who are these companies? Where did these come yep. from? And then DW kind of caught on and took it all to a different level. So we had to, you know, keep 
keep in perspective, these guys have been around for a long time, but they've kind of gone up and down in popularity over the years uh, just because the, it's a small company and they've, they have a toy business. They make toy drums. I think I remember you saying that we, we must have reviewed a Noble and Cooley early, early in the podcast because I remember you saying something about yeah, that. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they used to, they, they do. I don't know if they still do, but they've made the bulk of their income selling little Civil War like trinket drums. Okay. Um, so anyway, this past year they, they decided to refocus on the company and offer some new stuff. So the the classic Noble and Cooley drum is made out of tulip wood, which is we talked about tulip wood wood with the Natal kit a couple of weeks ago. It's oh, that's it's right. A, it's a form of poplar. Okay. Um, and that's what they use to make their Civil War drums, but they also make solid shell drum set drums out of it. So that's the seven by fourteen. Um, and that's and as, a steam bent shell, right? Yes, steam bent shell. Uh, the wood is harvested locally near their factory in Massachusetts. Uh, they kept it a natural finish. So you kind of got like a green, blonde, yellow kind of look to it, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, they have their their unique lugs that just have one attachment point towards the bottom of the shell, which is supposedly in a nodal point, so yep. it doesn't doesn't hamper the. Uh, so it's almost like a free floating shell. If if you just look at it, it looks like a free floater. Yep. Um, so that drum just had what I expected, the kind of classic, fat, warm, you know, uh, buttery kind of a feel and, and sound. Uh, and then they also have a couple other ones. The Horizon series is they're blending maple with mahogany. And that was actually what they were introduced in the 80s as their, like, boutique. That's probably what, oh, really? Will, that's probably what will played on the, the festival. Oh, okay. It was a Horizon series kit. Um, so now they're offering snares. This one was a six and a half by fourteen. It's got um, inner ply of mahogany and then outer plies of maple. Uh, again, it was a beautiful drum. That was kind of like an all-purpose, can do everything kind of a drum. Um, and then the the newest addition is a walnut. They're doing it's a ply shell, walnut ply. So that was the latest addition. Um, but after I reviewed this and I went to NAM, they're now doing steam bent kits, like full oh, steam really? bent kits. Yeah, wow. So they're just uh, perfecting their their molds. I think they're still working on the twenty two, but they had a twenty inch kick there, and it sounded awesome. So it's it looks like this is going to be a big year for Noble and Cooley to kind of come back on the scene and reestablish themselves. As you know, remind everyone like, hey, we've been doing this thing longer than everyone. Everyone, so, yeah, <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Yeah, they're all good drums, and they all served a different. I mean, the tulip wood would be kind of your indie kind of old school sound. The maple mahogany is kind of your do everything one one stop shop. The walnut is kind of a darker but kind of modern sounding drum. Okay, it's so I mean they sound. they do what they do what those woods normally do. Yeah, exactly. Like. I mean, these are just gorgeous drums made by the guys who've been making gorgeous drums for a Forever. long time. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's kind of like all these newer manufacturers are coming out that were kind of trying to replicate Noble and Cooley, and now Noble and Cooley yeah. is like, well, by the way, we did it first, and we're going to push the game a little bit. So, right, I'm excited no, to awesome. see them kind of come back. They've always been I, great drums. So, I have one question uh, as the nerd that focuses on the. Visual details. Do you have, do you know why each drum has a completely different badge? Just for the That's, series. That seems like a really – oh, okay. But are, yeah. I mean are they – it's just kind of weird. You would think they're so they're so high-end, you would think they just would have a Noble and Cooley badge and you just kind of yeah. know. But <clears throat> I tend uh, to prefer the one that they use on their solid shell series, their classic series they call it. It's like a okay. round – it's like an oval yeah. badge. It looks like an old Slingerland style badge. Yeah, I, that's just but, uh, my my aesthetic. The other two are, you know, I think they're how many sides do they have? Six sides. Yeah, so yeah. They're whatever that is. What, what's a six sided object? Is that a hexagon? <laughs> I have no idea, dude. It's definitely not an octagon. That'd be eight. It's, it's not, not a, a pentagon. S- <laughs> Who knows? It's a hexagon. Look, yeah. So they they have. That is it really? S- isn't it? I think that's awesome. No, I'm excited. Yeah, I just threw it out. So they're using that shape on the Horizon series, but it's in a, uh, I guess it's like, I think it's just a gold or a brass. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just thinking, I mean, I guess you can get the the brand continuity from their their throw-off, which has the Noble and Cooley yeah. logo on it. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of threw me off because I, I assume these are all high-end Noble and Cooley drums. You know, I never, 
I guess with Noble and Cooley, I didn't really associate lines because yeah. they were the boutique, the boutique company that just had it's a Noble and Cooley, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I was just wondering. But I guess so that makes sense if it's just for those specific lines. Well, uh, do you know what order we're going to hear these in? Uh, I, I, my <laughs> assumption, and if I'm wrong, I'll edit it so it works. It should be the tulip into the maple mahogany into the walnut. All right. Well, let's give them a listen. All right, listener question time. I've got a stack of 75 questions here. <laughs> and gonna... I don't think that's a joke. No, it's literally exactly 75 questions that I printed out today. So <laughs> thank you all for submitting. We're going we're gonna to try to get to hopefully like as many as possible in, in this episode. Uh, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com would be where you would send them. Uh, we do have some audio ones. We'll get to those as soon as possible, but we're going to try to crank through some of these paper ones first. Um, the first one is not a question, but it's it's a clarification. So last week I talked. we were talking about uh, the boutique symbol brands, and I kind of revealed a trade secret that someone had shared with me that if the logo keeps spinning upside down, then it's an out-of-balance symbol, and it's probably not a grade A quality symbol. Okay. I remember so, that. So Big Al had, had – expressed his concern like uh, he says on the last episode you stated that if your symbol rotates when you play it is an inferior symbol from a second line that's not what i said no no no. Every my, all my symbols rotate, rotate. Yeah, yeah. They, all, they all will <laughs> rotate as long as you're not clamping them down what i was saying is if it rotates and settles with the logo upside down right. like if you play it for an hour and then stop and if the logo is upside down Chances are it might be just slightly off balance. That doesn't right. mean that it's not going to sound good and it's not going to last your entire life. But right. a symbol, I mean, just like anything else, quality control, they want to give, you know, grade A, primo, perfectly balanced symbols where the logos are always upright because they want to be represented properly. And again, this was information shared to me from a longtime veteran in that world. It's not right. my hypothesis, it's what but he no, told I me. But no, I mean, all symbols rotate, especially depending if you're <clears throat> swiping your symbols, then you're actually pushing them to the right or to yeah. the left. Yeah, purposely. it should spin. Yeah, it should. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so, so I just wanted to clarify that. I didn't mean if your symbol spins at all that it's an inferior symbol. And I'm not the saying thing, it's inferior. It's just no, no, no. It's not just perfect not perfectly balanced. balanced. But I, th- I think another thing that can affect that if you're not careful is if you aren't staying on top of your bottom symbol felts, you can actually have – an out of whack bottom symbol felt where the oh, symbol yeah. always settles wherever it's leaning towards. So it, it's, but I, I totally got what you're saying. And, and now, but poor Al, he's like, what the hell? No, he's all like, my I symbols. all this money on these <laughs> high end symbols and they're rotating. They're all you know, moving. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot move. of other factors. You could have some slight keyholing over time that'll yep. cause it to settle a certain way. But yeah, my point was a brand new symbol on a brand new symbol stand. 
if you play it for an hour and the logo ends up upside down, it could have been an out-of-balance symbol. Yep. It doesn't have to I be, agree. but could have been. All, All right. right. Next one comes from Steve Smith in Sacramento, not the Steve oh Smith in Oregon that's been Journey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so he says, we often – oh, actually, we have two questions that are very similar to this. So we often hear about how certain drummers sometimes intentionally play slightly behind the beat or slightly sure. ahead or on top of the beat. And he's saying, while I intuitively understand this, it's difficult to grasp intellectually. Intellectually. It seems to me that you're either on the beat or you're not. So are these approaches to time feel so subtle that they cannot be quantified? Um, mm. He's asking if we could demonstrate it, but no, I can't demonstrate it today. But maybe in the future we can drop in some audio. Well, I, I mean, definitely Benny Greb's newest DVD has a whole chapter on yeah, that. And, exactly. and he uses actually quantification. He uses that to show you that if you had perfect eighth notes that were quantized to the grid <clears> – <throat> Then once you have that, you can place the snare or the kick ahead of it or behind it as much as you want. Something has to be in time to play uh, ahead of time or behind the beat. So one thing that I think needs to always be clarified is behind the beat does not mean actually slowing down two BPM slower than the song. That's the problem. Um, And I think in all honesty, I don't think a lot of musicians that ask this from you as the drummer, I don't think they know what they mean. So what they say is when you're dragging, they say, hey, can you play a little more on top of the beat? They just mean you're dragging. They don't mean for you to actually – they just want you to play it correctly. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and – Yeah, that's that's the – that's – it's – it's an issue of are you playing accurately or are you playing uh, – you know, is your is your time unsteady or is your placement uh, inconsistent? I mean it's – Right. Again, it's hard to define. Really, Benny kind of explains it the best in that DVD. But Yeah, I mean there, and there's a great visualization of it. Yeah. I think he did – and all of us in the drum world were like, you're going to tackle that? That's – I mean I've been teaching <laughs> yeah. my whole life. That's a tough thing to – to do when I don't have you in the room with me. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. the easiest way to do it is with two drummers. You play eighth notes on the hi-hat. I'm going to play my snare right behind the downbeat of two and the downbeat of four. But you're and both going to be playing at 92 BPM. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I just started one split second later than you. Milliseconds. You know, or earlier. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Yeah, so, and and um, what was I going to add to that? Oh, uh, as far as, there was another question similar to this from uh, Buzz Bar. Uh does music sound better if if all the musicians follow behind the beat, or can there be situations where listening and being behind the beat is okay? Uh, so he's saying is like jam music and jazz, where other musicians take the lead, or should we as drummers be the beat that others follow, or should we be ahead of it so that others are on the beat? These are the questions that you have to figure out as a band, and I can say from my personal experience, the bass player that I love to play with the most no matter mm-hmm. what tempo i where i place the beat he always gets just behind me just a mm-hmm. little bit behind me so it just makes the groove feel really fat yeah now if i was listening to him and adjusting we would end up slowing down because i would slow down right. in order to catch up with him and then, he and then would, he'd get behind he would you push it back a little bit and get behind me so we'd just be like constantly delaying our start time Right. So we're still playing at 90 BPM, but it's like beat one just keeps jumping backwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that case, I know that I just I just barrel ahead, play 90 BPM, dead on the beat. He's going to place his notes just milliseconds behind me, and it's going to sound really fat. Yeah, on the no, opposite side of that, one the best bass player that I play with in a jazz setting, he always he always has his articulation a little bit ahead of my ride cymbal. Okay, and it's the same thing. If I listened to him and adjusted, we'd be off to the races because I'd be right. jumping ahead and jumping ahead, and before you know it, I'd be skipping a beat. And we'd be missing beat four and jumping to beat one. Um, so, it's a conversation you should have either with words or just from experience playing with people to think. All right, is where is he feeling it? Does it feel good the way he's feeling yeah. it? If it doesn't feel good, then you should probably talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I wouldn't want people to do just because they think it's cool. It's like if, if you if you don't know how to make it feel good, don't do it just to do it. Yeah, right. And um, really, I mean, the most important thing is you have to be able to play consistently in time before you can even contemplate these questions. Yeah, if you guys want to hear a really um, 
great example of this. I mean, obviously, I think uh, D'Angelo's voodoo record brought it to our attention. But at the same time, with that and with all the Jay Dilla stuff, it's sometimes it's pretty dense and it's hard to hear what's happening. So check out the song Broken Car by Modest Yahoo uh, and you will hear the bass player is so far behind the drummer. Uh, Mark Mark Giuliano brought this to my attention because he had to play live with Modest Yahoo and he said – he said exactly what you said. He's like, I have to block out the bass player so much because if I even open my ears to him, I'll just naturally adjust to him. But he's way behind. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's what's giving it's, – it's fattening up the feel because they're not playing at the exact same time. So it's yeah. stretching yeah. out that wave file of where is the downbeat. It's like, well, now it's not this pinprick of a little placement. It's, it's a very wide space. So yeah. yeah, Broken Car by Modest Yahoo. Yeah, it's, a very, it's a very advanced concept, I think. I think you should not worry about it until you can get 85% accuracy on the beatnik. <laughs> like, yes. You know? Agreed. Agreed. Like just focus on playing steady for a long time until yeah. until you can hear the difference. Uh, don't get caught up in this this stuff quite yet unless you're ready for it. Um, next one comes from Mike. Um, <laughs> all right. Where is the actual question? So – He's been jamming. He's been jamming with a bunch of different people. Um, he wants to know what is our opinion on rehearsing or playing with a band that is trying to get gigs, but it's in a genre that you don't particularly care for. Uh, should Ooh. he focus on more on the types of music that he really enjoys, or should he be open to just being versatile to get gigs? And it really depends on where where you want your career to go. I mean, if you're playing drums just for happiness then you should focus on the music that you love but if you're playing drums to get your name out there then you're going to want to play as many gigs as possible until you have a name around your local area you know what do you think yeah i think it's similar i think um some of my favorite music now was not my favorite music when i first was forced not forced but you know obligated to play it for gigs or whatever so uh you know like i when i had to play big band in middle school i didn't love big band music but that was the only option for me to play drum set in an ensemble agreed Same. and then i grew to love it i mean the, uh, you can't really beat the count basie band but for a 12 year old it was like well, i don't, don't want to play my grandfather's music you know so right. part of it is are you interested in stretching your your interests or is it just you like whatever you like ska and that's it well then cool <laughs> right. just play ska yeah well the other thing too is though there's a limited amount of musicians in any town. So whatever gig you have, it's made up of people that you could have a different band with someday. Right. So I think, gosh, almost – I'm about to have a rehearsal tomorrow night at 8 p.m. And the last and the last time I played with this guy was at Arco Arena. <laughs> um, God, it must have been in like 2002. So it's been like 14, 15 years mm. and uh, – his band was playing with Story of the Year and Atreyu and the Deftones at our local arena, and their drummer just just really couldn't do it uh, pressure-wise. He was like, I, I, our drummer's freaking out. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So I haven't played with this dude in 15 years. We're going to jam tomorrow night, and I'm really happy I played with him 15 years ago because when I thought, like, I want to do a project with a monster guitar player, and I was like, oh, Dean could do it. And so, yeah, so I, I think – you know, and trust me, at that time I had just quit my band. The last thing I wanted to do was play that Rage Against the Corntones stuff again. You know, I'm like, oh great, now I'm back into this. But that led to a rehearsal I'm having 15 years later. So I think it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. All right, next one comes from John. Uh, do you know of any good products to use for ride cymbal dampening that wouldn't leave a residue on the cymbal like duct tape? Uh, Boom! They just came out with it. Yeah, Mino has their magnets. What are they calling yep. them? The symbol tuners. Symbol tuners, yeah. So, I mean, they're magnets. They're little round magnets. <laughs> Let's call them what they are. They're freaking <laughs> I mean, magnets. Let's be honest. They're so magnets could, with a Minel logo. You could find some strong – I mean, you could get the Minel things that they're they're if you want just a product that's ready to go. Or you could you could go shopping for some magnets and try that. Yeah, uh, I think the magnets, though, the Minel ones do have some sort of felt on the bottom. So they're not going to scratch your symbol. Um, okay. And the other thing that's really cool about them, uh, just because I got to see them at the booth, is – they work – you need two of them for a symbol because of the alloy itself. Um, but they actually – you only need one of them for a cowbell and they work flawlessly. They're like having two rolls of gaff on a cowbell and you just stick one on the top. And because uh, it's magnetic, it, it just sticks all by itself. So. Yeah. And I mean the other option is is get gaffer's tape instead of duct tape because gaffer's yep. tape is designed to not leave any residue. 
because mm-hmm. it's used in theaters where they're always taping cables and things down and they can't have – I mean you don't have a tape that's going to leave glue on the stage for every show. Right. So gaffer's tape is definitely more expensive than duct tape. You're gonna you're gonna feel but it's the shock it, of like thirty dollars for a roll of tape, but but you'll have it forever. I mean, the, a, a good roll of gaff tape for a drummer that could literally last you a few years. Yeah, you know, if exactly. you're not gaffing down your your drum rug, if you're just using it as dampening, it could last you years, man. Yeah. Um, so awesome. Yeah. There you and go. The other, uh, I mean, other like reggae guys often use uh, chamois or t-shirts and things, so you can cut up pieces of that. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, those are those are my three suggestions. Next one comes from Mark. Okay, this is another kind of a how do you manage your time question. Um, what kind of advice do you guys have for people in situations where they have to balance their personal life with their professional slash drumming life? Because uh, so <laughs> we don't have to. Yeah, he has to work eight to six uh, and he's newly married or he's married. He wants to just play his drums all day, and especially when he gets home from work. But he has to be considerate of you know his his time with his his wife and everything else. Sure, so, sure. I don't really have much. I mean, it's that's the. That's Are you kidding? The, uh, you buy her adult, a bass guitar? Yeah, that's the adult question. What? How do you how do you handle being an adult? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean it's a conversation. It yeah, yeah, it's a conversation. You know, I mean you don't. You don't ever let it get to the anger point. So you, you you need to make sure that your passions are expressed early on in your marriage so that it's something that doesn't keep creeping up. But in that you just say, Hey, when when is it when can we not argue about this? Like where when's a good time for me to practice? Uh midnight yeah. obviously with a drum set is not a good time, but um you know, you, you get some some things figured out. Um but I think the biggest thing is just talking about it. I don't want to. We shouldn't be giving marriage advice, but uh, no, yeah. And, but know, at the yeah. same time, I think it's just. I, I I had the conversation with my wife on probably our fourth date. That was. Here are the few things that we shall never discuss, because because <laughs> I will always defend them with way too much passion. And it'll cause a fight. So we're never going to ever use the phrase. When are you getting a real job? Uh, that shall yeah. never come up ever. <laughs> I have a real job. It's just not normal. Um, we're never going to talk about why I spent my last $5 on something drum related. It's like, I, I don't know what mm-hmm. to tell you. This is my life, you know? So, um, we had a great conversation and, and drums have never come between us ever, you know? So I think it's all about open communication. Yeah, exactly. All right. We have another, um, well, I'll see that. I'm going to do another one from Big Al. He'll have to wait. Sorry, Big Al. You only get one per show. This one, this one is from Harrison. Um, he's noticed that when he plays lighter styles of music, he can't get a, lo- a, a lot of low end from the ride cymbal. He's mm. using a 20-inch Meinl Soundcaster Fusion medium ride. He's thinking uh, that... That can do it. Yeah, exactly. He's thinking another part of the equation might be that he's using a fairly large stick. Bingo. He's using a Vader Extreme Design 5B. So he kind of has a perfect storm of of an inability to play quietly with yes. that ride cymbal and big yes. sticks with a big tip. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Just reverse that. Yeah. I, think you, <laughs> I mean, honestly, and the other thing, if you, if you need to have a big stick because maybe you have large hands switch to, um, you're already using Vader switch to their sugar maple series. That's going to give you the exact same size stick. They probably offer that stick in sugar maple and it'll be about, you know, uh, one third less of the weight um, yeah. and the density, and it, and it actually maple has a very different sound on the symbol. So I think if you go with expand your ride to either a twenty one or a twenty two, something thinner, maybe in the Byzance category if you're already using Meinl, um, and then go with a, a, a maple stick, and yeah. that'll help. Or the um, a stick that I used to use a lot that was great for because you know, I did <clears throat> when I was in college, I was playing a lot of marching band with huge sticks and then jazz so i needed to, i didn't want to have a like a super thin 7a because my hands were used to the big sticks so the uh vic firth i think it's called the bolero yeah the bolero. Is, i mean that's their maple stick but it has like a really small bead. it's like a 2b yep. size stick but it has like a small bead tip yep. and i think the vader is called piccolo yeah, yeah. um it's yeah, like a exactly. small round tip, but it's kind of a thicker grip. So if you yeah. if you need a big stick just to feel comfortable, the smaller tip will definitely help. The bl- the bolero is uh, the bolero and the piccolo. They're both closer to a two B than a five B. Those are thick sticks, but yeah. they're they're made out of maple, so they're very light. And then, like you said, they have a, a really small ball tip. Yeah, I think Brian Blade even uses the uh, the bolero. So yeah, I use the uh, 
Swinger <laughs> back in the day, the SD10 Swinger from from Vic Firth before I was a Vader artist. Yeah. And then I think that's called the Blazer in Vader. So Right. And as far as the cymbal, I mean, you're not going to get a lot of low-end frequencies because I believe the Soundcaster is either That's B8, an MB10 or yeah, B, it's B8 either B8 10. or B10. Yeah. So you're going to need to get a B20 symbol. If you if you actually mean low end frequencies, if you just mean low volume, then a smaller tip stick will will probably yeah. do the trick. Okay, yeah. moving on. Let's see. We're getting low on time. Let's try to get one more out of this 75 pile here. Um, no, not that one. That'll take too long. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Big Al. You don't get three in a show. <laughs> oh, that's another one. It'll take too long. Uh, okay, here's a here's an interesting one. Uh, here's a question on this is from Dave. Uh, do you have any thoughts on placing the left pedal of a double pedal on the left side or the right side of the hi hat pedal? Uh, oh. Most most drummers put it on the right side, um, but for him, the left pedal feels most natural on the outside of the hi hat. Then doesn't the bar cross over your hi hat pedal? It does. Yeah. So that's kind of. I mean, I've done both when I first started. Using the double pedal, I put it on the left side just because I, there wasn't enough room on the right side because the hi hat. You don't want to move your hi hat out. Yeah, so that was my only solution. the The two problems with that were one, the the crossbar is in the way, it just kind of gets in the way a little bit. And the biggest problem was when you extend that bar so far, it it does affect the feel. At least it did on the pedal that I was using twenty years ago. Sure, it, it made it just a little bit slower. But I remember Chris Penny; he does that. Uh, when he played the festival a few years ago, he was he was playing with his double putt on the left side. So okay, no rules. I think whatever you need to do, it's whether or not you need the hi hat to be in closer or not. Um, I think now I could get away with placing it to the right side because my pedal is further away from me than it used to be. Sure, but yeah, I don't think there's any right or wrong. Um, you know, don't just do something because you see someone else do it. Try your own stuff. Try it. Yeah, out. yeah. There you go. Boom. All right, guys. Well, thanks for all the questions. Please keep sending them in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, and we will keep barreling through the list of 75. We obviously will be doing a all-listener question episode soon so we can yes. tackle some more of those. And, guys, thanks so much for even caring enough to write to us and ask our opinion on these things. We're all in this together, and it's it's a big journey that we – you know, Mike and I have been on ourselves, and we – our, our entire friend base is made up of other people that have gone through this. So whatever you're going through, just know we either went through it or we will go through it someday. So, all right, let's get into our picks of the week. Do you have a pick of the week, sir? Why don't you go first? <laughs> all right. While you look around your office to find your pick of the week, I will do that. Uh, my pick of the week. I, did I send you my picture of my snare that I got yesterday? Your A&F came? Yeah, one of them. One oh, of the two. Man, so, wow. so my pick, I, I don't have a choice. My pick has to be... Uh, the first snare drum that I have uh, bought in, God, like 15 years. Uh, so I got two snares. One is on its way, and the one I got is the Rude Boy snare by ANF. This is a 3 by 13 raw brass snare drum and six lug. Holy crap. Uh, six it's lug? A three, six lug, 3 by okay. 13 And it's got the claws, brass uh, suicide hoops, uh, they've got their own throw off, uh, man. Uh, I, <laughs> dude, it's like you just showed me a picture of a naked lady. Like I can't speak. Like it, <laughs> it is. It just lived up to every ounce of expectation. And this drum was not at Nam, so I didn't get a chance to hear the three by thirteen. I think they had a three by twelve, maybe, but I don't remember seeing a three by thirteen. But either way, I, I hadn't heard it yet. It came in yesterday. It blew me away. Uh, it is the drum that you're hearing in the intro of the podcast today. So when the when the podcast started, that was the three by thirteen. And one okay. thing I'll tell you, bro, is um, it it it's almost as full sounding as any drum I've ever played at three by thirteen. It it's incredible. And you know, I, I don't have a mic on my snare, so whatever you hear is just from my overhead. It, it sounds fantastic. So, so far, I've only had it for one day. I got it yesterday. I'm blown away by it. Uh, and the Rude Boy Snare by ANF is $700. When you see the craftsmanship, you can check it out on my Instagram page, and I'll probably play some videos in the next couple weeks. But it, it's worth every penny. Unbelievable. Nice. So kudos to those guys for living up to the hype. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a little bit jealous. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> 
Hey, <laughs> it's about time, man. I've been jealous of your new recording setup for a while. So, uh, all right. So my pick. Uh, I don't have my review samples in hand, but I did get to check them out at Nam for a bit. The folks that invented Moon Gel, okay, Artom, R T O M Corporation, Artom. Oh. They now have a new product called uh, the Black Hole. Yeah, I, I, see I've that? seen it. I saw it in your new issue. I haven't. Yeah. I is it real? It's Does it legit. Work? It's legit. So it, um, I don't know what the hoops are made of. It, basically, what it is, it is a way. It's a it's a practice. It's a mute that you can yeah. just put on your drums, all the drums, snare drum, bass drum, toms, and you can. I think it's a mesh head with a little patch of rubber in the middle, so it doesn't feel like a trampoline completely. And it just it just clips right onto the hoops. It just goes between the tension yeah. rods and the and the hoops. You don't have to take your heads off or anything. It just goes right on top of the drums, uh, completely sturdy. But it but it also gives you a little bit of sound because it does allow the drum to make a little bit of say, sound. Yeah, it says it reduces your volume by eighty percent. So that means twenty percent of the tone is left. Yeah, I wouldn't even maybe. I mean, eighty percent. I don't know if you could quantify that, but right, you sure. do hear like a just a little bit of pitch, a little bit. You of can tell the difference between the rack and the floor, and the snare will get some okay. some buzz if you have the wires on. So it's a pretty cool solution for guys who want to just be able to practice on their main kit on their actual kit. Be, you know, when you're just practicing technique or things that don't really require you to hit the drums full volume, or if you need to control your volume. Uh, it looks to be a really promising product, so I'm supposed to be getting some samples uh, this this next week. Okay. But I did mess with them at Nam, and it was like, okay, that's something that I've Legit. been needing forever. Well, I was just going to ask, like, can we not say any more about it? Because I'd really like to do a full review on it whenever yeah, you get these. Because I'm when I saw that, I think it showed up in the February issue of Modern Drummer. Yep. Um, and that was the first time I saw it, and I was like, wait a minute. Like, yep. that could be a solution for so many drummers and so many of my students and myself included. So, so yeah, so let's do a full review on them. So they're going to be sending you some soon? Yeah, they're in New Jersey, so they're going to drop some off. But the company is Artom. Uh, again, they have – I mean, they, they invented the moon gel, so they've got a, a history of making really popular product. Uh, right. It's called the Black Hole. And if the website is rtom.com, I think they've got a video kind of demo there. You can see it. Um, it looks like it's going to be it's going to be a game changer for a lot of people. Good. It's 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 necessary, man. The only thing that I'm looking forward to finding out from you is because of the picture. It's I'm wondering how much does this raise the height of your drum set? Do you have to lower your drum set by like an inch and a half to get back to normal? Or? Yeah, the the hoop is probably like an inch. Um, so yeah, I mean, you might have to adjust the the setup a little bit, right? Either way, it, man. Yeah, either way, it's a good option. It's quick. It's instant. There's no major, and uh, the thing I was just going to ask you is, it looks like they have it for the bass drum too. Yeah, they do. The bass drum is a little bit more involved. You have to have like a bungee that goes from the front to the back to clip okay. it in place. But okay. the snare and the toms, they literally just click right on top of your drums, like mm. nothing else required. Oh man. That so could that's be, my like you said, that could be a game. Ah, that sucks. I really thought I had this thing, thing <laughs> one with the A and F snare. Um, well, you could well, put a uh, black hole on your A and F snare when you're practicing at home. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Let me spend a grand on a snare so that I can not hear it. Great. You can silence Thank, it. <laughs> thanks for the craftsmanship, Rami. I'm going to go ahead and silence your snare drum. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, have an amazing week. If you get a chance, just go to wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a rating. Four or five star would be really helpful to help other drummers find this podcast. And also, if you can't find this podcast where you want to find it, then let us know about it so that we can work on that on our end. We want to make sure that everyone has access to this podcast. Mike and I have a blast doing it, and we really, really appreciate all of your guys' support. So, all right, buddy. I will see you next time. Yep. Have a good one. Later, bro. Later, bro.